Welcome to another episode of the Modern Facilities Management Podcast, brought to you by Flowpath. I'm your host, Griffin Hamilton. This is the show where I interview industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights into modern day facilities management. From hospitality to commercial real estate and everything in between, we'll learn what it really takes to succeed as a facilities manager. Welcome to another episode of the Modern Facilities Management Podcast. Today's guest is going to be talking about something that I just learned about, uh, about K-12 buildings and the future of said buildings. Uh, Martin Hopp joins us from Martin Hopp Architects. Martin, how you doing? Hi there. Thank you for having me on. Of course, of course. Well, uh, again, this is uh, going to be a really interesting uh, episode talking about the future of buildings and you and as being an architect, uh, what you're seeing changing in the industry, how architects do relate to facilities and that handoff there. But before we get into the content, why don't you tell the audience a little bit more about who you are and what it is you do? Sure. So my name is Martin Holt. I'm the principal and founder of Martin Holt Architects. Uh, born and studied in, in Britain. I worked in Stuttgart, Germany, in London, in the U- in Britain, for a number of years, and then I moved to the U.S. to work for a, a, a architectural firm, Raphael Vinoli Architects, for where I was there for about ten years. I became a project director. I was working on edu- I was responsible for education, commercial, healthcare, mixed use buildings, and then about ten years ago, I started my own firm, and. Whilst we work in a number of sectors, primarily we work in the education sector. Got it. And, and so what, on with your experience, what has been unique about the education space compared to the other buildings you've been working on? I think that, in you know, education covers a wide range from, from K through 12 through into university buildings. But all of them, I think that, you know, the ability to work with really interesting people. I've done laboratory buildings where you're working with scientists, working on neuroscience issues. When you're doing K-12 schools, you're working with kids in nursery schools. But the kind of sense of adventure, of excitement that are in all of those buildings is, I think, something that's fairly unique compared to more typical, you know, development work and stuff like that. I think that that's what makes it so fun and such a exciting place to be, being around people who are learning and that generates excitement. Yeah. And you brought up a good point where every school is going to be different. You know, there, there's going to be a different use case uh, for each and every building within that school. And so it's, it's interesting where as you're building it out, you have to certainly take into consideration, obviously the, uh, individuals that are going to be using it, but how they're using it, what they're trying to use it for. I'm sure that's always interesting. But um, as we look ahead, and this is what we were just talking about uh, before we hit the record button, but just the difference as we look ahead in the types of buildings and the material that you're using to build uh, new facilities. So let's talk about it. You mentioned it was mass timber, correct? Correct. So we've you know, we have within our education sector, we've done an awful. There are two things which I think are really interesting. One is adaptive reuse of buildings and taking existing buildings and making them green. The greenest building is one that already exists, right? That we can improve it and take the existing components, improve it, make it relevant to our um, 
to our clients' needs. The second thing, which I think is really interesting and, and we're going to start to see more in the future, is buildings built out of mass timber. Mass timber is wood buildings. It's an engine. It's taking small uh, sub pieces of wood, gl effectively gluing them together in a factory and making large structural members that um, can be used to either be in conjunction with or replacing steel and concrete. And there's a, there's a few different permutations to mass timber. You can do mass timber where the columns, beams, and the slabs are all made from this engineered wood product, normally with a concrete, a layer of concrete on top. Or you can do mass timber where you have more traditional steel and column beams or concrete as a, as a structure, and then you're having mass timber slabs sitting on top of those to um, support, you know, to be at the floor, basically, to be people walking on them. That, that's fascinating because I, I, I would envision if I'm listening to this, you know, a log cabin out in the woods, but we're talking large facilities, middle of the city, trying to add more greenery to the space and reduce the carbon footprint here. Uh, totally different use case and vision here from what you're showing me. Yeah, so and there were two or three, I mean, there were two or three starting points for why mass timber is a, is a good thing to do. At its simplest, uh, trees absorb carbon as they grow. That sequesters the, the trees, you know, the, using the trees, the wood, then sequesters the wood within the structure and locks it in place for the duration of the building. And there's no reason why that would, in the future, why that building can't then be reused. As mm -hmm. you say, wood cabins would be an, ex, you know, a, an example of that. We, the, uh, the construction industry has moved away from using woods in it for larger buildings over the last roughly 100 years. Prior to that, you know, woods construction was the way to go. Mm -hmm. And for various reasons, people have moved away from that. But there's always been a America's been very innovative in having in, in using engineered plywood and built on those industries. And so, you know, trees have always been a big part of uh, construction. What we're seeing, and it's grown more in Europe and now moving into America and the other continents, is using these engineered products to replace the structural systems, basically. Mm -hmm. that, that's interesting. And, and someone might be, you know, driving down and thinking, well, it's wood. What about in a fire? Like in the worst case scenario, I could see so many different things wrong happening. So what's the pushback there? So the way that the, um, the wood that we're talking about is not two small two by fours, which are more likely to absorb, uh, to catch on fire and to burn through the section. The woods that we're talking about could well be eight, 10, 12 inch diameter, eight square columns. And they're designed so that the structural component of the column is normally surrounded by another inch and a half or so of wood. So that in the event of a fire, that outer layer chars, but the inner diameter, which is the area which has been designed and engineered to carry the loads, is unaffected by the fire. That charring mm. creates a kind of a strong outer layer within which it can't burn beyond that. Um, the other things that you're seeing in, in in that engineering process is the wood is extensively tested. It's built within factories. It's a repetitive process. 
so that the you know the structural performance of the wood can be is is repetitive and understandable for engineers to be able to do their calculations, build it into their models, so that all of those you know it's a modern product. This is not hoping that you get lucky that the tree is strong enough. This is an engineered process, thoroughly tested by government agencies, and it's a la- you know there are, and has been used in many has been used for a long time it hasn't been a lot of it done but it's with the you know growing awareness of sustainability of global warming of carbon issues it becomes it's coming back to the fore but i think also just modern business models are better able to integrate it into the process and turn it into a larger industry and we certainly see that in europe currently Mm -hmm. that it's highly popular why do you think it's taken so long for this to come over to the states I think there's some, you know, America is a, hasn't been aware of green issues, I would say. I was, you know, I've been here long enough that LEED was, LEED and sort of sustainable building movement was new. Clients who supported LEED buildings 15 years ago were seen as being innovative and brave. And now we see amongst all all institutional projects lead is a pretty common thing right it's pretty widely recognized and Mm -hmm. it's seen as being a sensible business thing to do right if you build an office building with lead you can charge higher rents i think we're going to see in the same way that mass timber is something that is a bit scary to a lot of people right now they don't want to look no one wants to be the first here but you're starting to see very smart developers um larger a lot of the ivy league universities uh, have mass timber projects under development and in construction. And I think they are the lead for this movement. It, again, it's further along in Europe, but I think mm-hmm. here in the US, that's where you're seeing, and, and you're seeing you know, large developers here build office buildings out of mass timber because they think they can charge higher rents for better quality space. And I think that the Ivy League universities have their own reasons for doing it. But I think that we're starting to see that filter down through the um, the ecosystem of con- you know, construction professionals, facility professionals. Mm-hmm. And there are just so many reasons why it's a positive. You, you brought up LEED earlier. And I was actually wondering that. How does – where does LEED come into play with this type of building now? So, I mean, mass timber is – Mass timber can can help you gain additional points within lead. I think that you know what's I guess to place mass timber in the context of of the carbon discussion, carbon creation. There are two really two forms of that. There's embodied carbon, which is when you make a building, how much carbon is created in the process of making buildings, and then there's operational carbon, which is how much carbon is involved in the ongoing running of the building. Mass timber gives you an, an ability to reduce the amount of embodied carbon that's produced during the creation of buildings. Um, it doesn't necessarily change the operational carbon. And so LEED is just one of many certification systems which look at how buildings are put together and the many complexities of, of green buildings. So mass timber is just one tool which you can use to... Um, reduce your embodied carbon but it's a significant one and when you're building in steel and concrete there are you know there are many other 
complexities and people tend to think that they create more carbon those types of buildings mm-hmm. there's a one of the photos that you were showing me earlier it was really interesting because the outside of the building there's more greenery there and so uh, that was also something that was appealing i mean aesthetically appealing for me of this is a beautiful building a beautiful structure but on the outside of it it feels like although you're in a city you're in the middle of a forest right and is that something where you see that type of design uh, that being more common of like having that greenery, not part of just the uh, the carbon discussion, but the aesthetics of it as well? Yeah. And also, truthfully, it also ties in a school into the programming of the school. What's really ex- I mean, then this is sort of a slightly separate issue to mass timber. But what's really exciting is when the kids who are doing uh, sciences classes who are doing, you know, when you can start to integrate the building into the teaching program so that students don't just think of their lessons as, you know, as abstract theoretical exercises, but can start to, and particularly in in cities, start to touch earth, right? Can start to grow plants, can start to um, be involved in seeing things grow and take responsibility for something. That's something that's really powerful. I have a young son and he gets so passionate about growing a tomato plant and watering a tomato plant. And if we can turn that, if we can put that into a portion of a building so that a whole class can grow their own tomato plants, because, you know, particularly in cities where space is so constrained, that's a challenge, right? So I think that that's, you know, that's something that we're as a firm really passionate about, about creating buildings that the school can use to reinforce the teaching program and also that can just bring joy to the students i mean we we have in this project soccer we have a soccer pitch on the roof we have um a whole you know i'd love people please go to our website uh martinhop.com and you can you'll see some of the school projects that we're doing there but I think the mass timber is is a starting point for an awareness of it's a signifier of of a green building of something that's being thought about deeply. Mm-hmm. It is new. I think that for our you know the clients who are opting to go in this direction, they're brave up front, quite frankly. But as they get into the as they get into the understanding of it, they realize that it's a really common sense, sensible approach to take. But they're you know, there the, there's the beginning of the process, and what's going to be great is that we can build projects like this, where principals, where facilities directors, the people who help make decisions about the next, you know, appointing architects to build more schools, are going to have buildings they can go and touch and see this and experience it and realize that it's a, you know, it's a very natural thing. If you if you look at some of the existing schools, a hundred year old school. Actually, they have a wood structure inside of them. And so there's been a period of time where we've moved away from that. But maybe there's a period of time coming now where we're going to go back to, in many, in some cases, using wood as part of our buildings. And I think, you know, biophilia is something that um, the, stud, the, the bringing nature into buildings, wood structure is something that can be a component of that. Growing mm-hmm. plants inside the buildings, on the buildings, is a further component of biophilia. And biophilia has been shown to reduce stress and mental health issues for people using them. I think post-COVID, everyone is thankfully so much more aware of mental health issues in schools and educational yep. situations. COVID really put such a stress on 
everybody, you know, on everybody. And some of those issues, thankfully, are coming more to the fore and people are thinking more about it. And if we can design our buildings so that they help reduce mental health issues and stresses, and they're one part of, you know, many, many issues in that topic, right? But it's something that can be done within our current um, approaches. It doesn't require invention or it doesn't require lots of people to, to help that. It can just be one tool amongst many. But I think that post-COVID, people are also just looking again at schools, realizing how important they are to their communities, realizing that people, um, when the school shuts down, the community kind of shuts down, right? People have to stay at home and look after their children and all of these things that come out of that process. I think there's a reassessment of how important schools are in people's lives. And we're fortunate now to be designing schools post-COVID and also start to introduce this new layer of materiality, which is mass timber structures for schools and buildings of this scale. Yeah, you make a great point. And it is one of those things where it's not always appreciated as it should be until it's gone. And school during COVID, I mean, you nailed it. That was something where, uh, I mean, we've all grown up going to school. You send your kids away to school for the day. But once I was taken away and you saw the impact on both you know yourself as a parent, but also the students, uh, I mean, that that is one of the positives, I guess, out of COVID is that, to your point, was brought front of mind. Uh, now we are making changes and there are actually things happening to address the environment that we're sending, you know, this next generation to, right? Um, and the data shows that also, I mean, there's so many studies now which talk about the importance of, you know, what are typically sustainability issues to the performance of students within schools. Yep. And that ties into, you know, the facility manager changing the filters on the HVAC systems and the basic stuff, keeping the, the schools clean and tidy. But all of those things show the two better exam results for students. And that's really, what, you know, that's why we have schools, right, is to help educate mm-hmm. people and help make it easier for everyone to learn and grow. And that leads to better financial outcomes ultimately for individuals and society if we can help with education so i think that just you know mass timber is one string you know one arrow in the quiver of all of how we design better schools but i think just an awareness of the sustainability issues wellness issues how we make healthy buildings is so important and yeah hopefully post-covid people are more aware of that air quality issues are on the you know the front of many people's minds, but there are so many other issues. And if we design them in from the beginning of the design process, they don't add a lot in cost to that. It's about thinking early on and getting a you know frankly a talented design team who are open minded to the latest science, the latest thinking, and don't just we can do better. And and that's what we should be doing. Yeah. And on that, you mentioned the role of the facilities manager. Talk to me about that and how it's different with that type of building and the ongoing support of that building with maintenance and improvements after the build. Because I know that could be a big issue and you know something that is new and newer technology could be a little bit scary. But talk to me there and the differences. So I think there's there's two things. There's two things there. The first is and this is in this is the same for all design projects. Integrating a facility director into the design process from the beginning is really important. When we, when we've struggled on projects or we've had some challenges, is when the design you know the the design department for the school district is separate from the facilities 
team for the district and they're not talking they see you know facilities pick up the building from the day that it's finished and the design the design side of the client team move on to something else that process hasn't doesn't go well we want to integrate from the beginning so that the facilities director is involved in early meetings they're giving comments to finish issues to helping select the HVAC systems. They, if, you know, concerns about mass timber, they should be answered on day one. Because if you have someone who feels that they've been forced into something, it tends not to go well, right? If we can integrate them from the beginning and make them feel that they're part of the selection process and aware of the issues, that that ongoing process seems to go better. So I think that's the first thing. And where we've had good fortune on projects is by getting those people involved in the process really on. I think then as we go forward um, and a building's coming together, also integrating the facilities management team into the commissioning process, getting them on board so that they learn how the systems start up, how the, the you know they're involved in the programming of the building, of setting up the HVAC and the building management components. All of that stuff is also really key. Mass timber, we're really careful. In, in you know, schools take a real beating, right? The kids are tough on buildings. They're learning. They're playing. Yeah. They <laughs> innocently kind of you know, like damage gets caused, right? That happens. But I think that we're careful in schools as to where we think it's appropriate to use mass timber. It's a it's a really wonderful product, but you may not want it to be like you know may not want to make a wall six foot high running along a corridor because it's it's a bit more sensitive and it's harder to repaint it. You can repaint it, of course, but that would take away some of the qualities of wood. Using it in the in the structure, using it in the ceiling, so that it's not easily touchable, brings warmth to spaces. Deals with. Um, Acoustic, it can help with acoustic issues, can help with a range of issues depending how you spec it. But yeah, I think you have to be careful. But you get those, I mean, it's sort of, we have an awareness of that approach now, but I think that that's where bringing in a facilities manager early on into the design process means that you don't make some obvious mistakes and they feel that they're part of it. And they, mm -hmm. you know, we're building schools which people, like you've seen some renderings, right? People get excited about what they see. These are really special buildings that we're putting together at fairly standard costs but we think that if we can get the facilities manager involved early on they're going to feel proud of it and help to maintain that building and take it forward over the next 50 60 years we hope yeah yeah absolutely and, and i mean you nailed it it is so important to get to collaborate on both sides uh because if if not then you're right someone is just getting handed over a project that they feel as though it was forced on them and they yeah. may not be as, as well open to it right exactly um well, Martin, I, I certainly appreciate you coming on here. I, I do have one last question for sure. you. I ask everybody, and that is who or what has had the biggest impact on you and your career? Sure. So um, I've worked before some iron firm for two or three really good firms in Germany, UK and, and America. And I think that in particular, there were two, you know, there were two principals of, the, of two of those firms, John McCasm in, in the UK and then Raphael Vinoli, who's a very well-known architect here in the US. Good and bad. I've learned an awful lot from them and you learn as much from the bad as the as the good. And you have to sort of use synthesize those experiences to help form your own approach. But I think that those two people 
I look up to greatly, recognizing the good, you know, as I said, the good and the bad, the, the strengths and the flaws in both, and trying to make yourself, you know, build the next, a next generation of firm that can take ideas forward. But you know, those are wonderful businesses and wonderful architects. Yeah, love it. Well, hey, once again, uh, Martin, certainly appreciate you coming on. This has been incredible. Um, I'm really interested to see how this picks up in the States and uh, how it transitions over from uh, from Europe and over to the States and the impact that it has here in the future. But uh, once again, thank you for coming on. I'm going to have in the show notes where folks could find you, uh, your website, and a few projects here. And I would highly encourage folks to check it out because uh, it is very interesting, aesthetically pleasing, and I am uh, eager to see this more uh, common across the country. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Griffin. Of course. Take care, Martin. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Modern Facilities Management Podcast. Make sure to subscribe for future episodes and follow us on LinkedIn for more facilities management content.